Hey guys, this is Jake Blum. Welcome to our show, Quakers and Makers, the very first podcast dedicated to finding the best and brightest UPenn alumni around the country. We're going to hear their stories, successes, failures, and most importantly, the lessons they learned along the way. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here today with Gayla Jennings O'Byrne, co-founder and general partner at Walkstar and CEO of Prometheus Exchange. Hi, Gayla. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Great. We're really happy to have you on the show. So before we get into your specific story, for those who aren't familiar with your companies, could you share a little bit about Walkstar and Prometheus Exchange, just about what they do and what their mission is? Yeah. So I had a long career in tech in Wall Street, and I left and started an advisory company while I was kind of thinking through what I really wanted to be doing. So Prometheus Exchange was born, and it is a consulting arm that helps impact investors and really cutting-edge philanthropic organizations think differently about how they deploy capital and make an impact in the world. And from that, our biggest initiative that was born out of that is the Walkstar Fund. Walk, standing for Women of Color Startups, is a early-stage venture fund that invests in women of color and inclusive and diverse teams in the tech space. That's an incredible mission, and it sounds like you're really making strides and having an impact with the people that you work with. Could you share a little bit about some of the exciting companies that you've begun to work with or help launch? Oh, gosh, they vary. We are sector agnostic, so we get the joy and pleasure of looking at everything in the tech space. And we actually are looking across the country and around the globe, so we get to see everything. One or two I would point out is a media company that's really interesting. The guys were so smart. They went to chip manufacturers, got their technology put onto the actual chips, that are in smart TVs. So now any smart TV has their technology. And as you can imagine, they've been hugely successful. The way to think of them is almost like what Nielsen was for the set-top television. They are for smart TVs. So really love those guys and the passion they bring. We have another who's doing amazing things in the clean energy space. It's great beta projects going with some municipalities and cities. And we've got another one that's revolutionizing how we think about tailoring and retail and fashion. So they just run the gamut. I can talk about all of them (laughs) days and days, but we won't do that to your listeners. Yeah. Well, those are some exciting companies that you just mentioned. And I'm sure that you have countless others that you're working on or founders or potential founders that you're speaking with. So could you share a little bit of your story, you know, specifically kind of from graduating Penn to where you are now, I know you mentioned you started, you know, in the more corporate world and kind of how you came about your current business. Yeah. So I graduated almost 30 years ago, which I still can't believe. And I actually thought I would be on Wall Street. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't quite get to second or third round of interviews. And so maybe I sort of a little bruised up went back home to California, Northern California, and started a career in Silicon Valley. And years later, after getting my MBA then, I came back east, uh, came to Wall Street, and I just haven't left. I have had some different roles on Wall Street and lived in a bunch of different countries, probably been in like 70, 80 countries at this point. But the bulk of my investment banking career was mergers and acquisitions, which I just loved 
And my love of it actually started from a professor who taught a class called Mergers and Acquisitions. And I was hooked and that thrill never left me. And then the movie Wall Street had come out and Gordon Gecko and all these things. And so it was probably a nice 20 year run at JP Morgan and I'm in a couple different roles that I then decided I was going to take all the knowledge and networks and I'd already been an angel and I didn't have the words for it, but I was angel investing and I thought I can do this and I can do this with a community that I know well and I see opportunities that don't always get the chances they need with the larger VC funds and we can do this and holy moly, we can make a lot of money at the same time. Like we can be supporting diversity and tech and innovation and we can make money and impact at the same time. So I was like, I got to go, got to go do this. That's a, a wonderful story. So when did you have the courage to make that change? Because I know that's something that a lot of people, specifically in the corporate world, often struggle with is like, I want to do something on my own, but I have this nice, cushy job and a salary and it's comfortable. So how did you make that leap? It's so funny that you describe it that way. I actually, you're a bit nicer about it to me. I call it corporate <laughs> welfare. You, you think about it, you're still getting paid on like the first and the 15th of the month, right? Like a government yeah. check, right? So yeah, I was dependent on that corporate welfare, the admin, the cushy office, the expense account. So it's tough, right? One, there's the confidence and then there's the like risk-taking aspect of it. And then there's just moving out of your comfort zone. It's not a great story. I'm sure it's been repeated many times, but I had a moment where I had a health issue and it was sort of like, oh my God, am I going to die? And if I don't and I get a second chance, I promise I'm going to do something amazing with my life or at least I'm going to do something different with my life. And so, yeah, when I survived cancer, that was it. It was like, all right, if you've survived cancer, like you can do this. You can survive anything. That's an incredible story. And I appreciate you sharing that. I can only imagine how difficult and challenging it was. But I think it speaks to your character that you kind of took that and made something out of it, as opposed to letting it drag you down further. I was going to ask you what hurdles you had to overcome in your career. But I think that in and of itself answers that question. So I guess a different way to frame the question is, What advice do you have for some of the founders that you work with in terms of how they can overcome their hurdles or their adversity? And I think you and I were chatting a little bit before the conversation, right? And a lot of the people that you work with, right, they have a particular type of resiliency. So would love to just hear your thoughts on that. It's interesting you use the word hurdles because by the mere nature of it, it means it's something to overcome. And I see that every day. And I think... The biggest takeaway from what I've observed of the startups and the founders, those that succeed are the ones that think big. They're not small thinkers, right? They're thinking really big. Their vision is bold. And because of it, it's like infectious and people gravitate towards it, whether it be investors, whether it's employees, right? Because most of them don't have the same JP Morgan or Goldman or, you know, these BCG kind of salaries that they can offer people. So you got to think, like, what is it that's going to take some senior executive to come work for some 30-year-old at some startup and you're going to pay in options? Like, what is that about? So I think the advice is like, think big, have a big vision. The ones that are successful are always like 
they're checking in with themselves, they're checking in with their board, right? So they're really coachable, they're really listening and taking feedback, not only for themselves, but even just like when you think about like your product, they'll put out a version and they know it's not the best version, but it's just so they can get feedback from the market, sure. what the market really wants and what features they want to pay for or don't want to pay for. So hurdle-wise, the other thing I would say is that there's this, the resiliency we talked about. And I think that comes from, there's just this self-confidence that they have and sort of like it's option A or it's nothing, right? Like it's sure. go big or go home. Sure. I see a lot of that. You know, a lot of the deals that we're, looking at right now are COVID related. One is a testing technology, another parts of the healthcare space, and then others are building based on how we're going to behave, how we're going to consume, how we're going to eat in the future when we come out of, as we come into a new COVID world. That whole notion of like thinking big, big vision, that's what's going to make those guys successful. And that's what's going to help them get over, like you called it, those hurdles. That's a really interesting way of putting it, kind of this go big or go home mentality of not necessarily having a plan B. I think that's something that I've come to see a lot of people who put themselves out there and try something new and don't take a more traditional path is that they pour themselves into what they're doing. And to your point, it becomes infectious to those around them, to their employees, to their investors, to their family. And there's this kind of positive snowball effect. And I think something that gets lost often just because we're multitasking, fast-moving, fast-paced society is that the success that you see on the cover of like Fast Company or Inc. or Wired, you know, it looks like it happened overnight, right? Like here's somebody who was at, left their employer and six months later they started this company and another six months later they IPO'd and then they met Zuckerberg and they started another company or they started a fund, right? Like, <laughs> but what people don't really see is all the hard work and like there's actually a bunch of years in there, maybe, right? Or months or years that built up to it, but we all kind of just get that cover story headline of someone's success. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. It's really easy to just assume that it happens overnight. And I think part of that success, at least that I've seen, is this consistency, right? Consistency of doing the things that are moving the ball in the right direction. So of the founders that you work with, what are some of the habits that they have that they do consistently that you think allow them to achieve that success to in one or two years, all of a sudden be that successful person and make it seem like it happened overnight when in reality, it was something they've been working on all along? Two things. <laughs> actually, they're not found. Well, I do see it in founders too. Um, the first one is actually the guy that started Peloton. So he's not a founder. I didn't invest in him. Uh, it would have been lovely too. I do see this trait in our founders, but his story of it, I always love and tell people is when he went out to raise money for his company, he got some like hundred no's. Like everyone was just no. No, if you think about it, right, he's like, I've got this bike and there's like a TV on top and you put it in your home and you, you know, like what's new about that, right? So he yeah. just couldn't get, but he persevered, right? He just kept going back out there. So that's a trait I see in the founders, right? Is that they can take no and they can just get back up and go again and again and again. And then the second one, it's a little quirky. I actually got it from Anthony Scarmucci. It's so okay. funny. My two examples are two, two white guys. Yeah. but I see these in women as well and and, you know the founders we work with is getting up early in the morning I know it sounds hokey 
I get up at 4.30, 5.30. And it's interesting to me when I get emails from certain founders and I'm like, oh, she's an early bird too. And then another one in conversation, like, yeah, so anyway, I was thinking about this at 5.30 this morning. I'm like, oh my God, she's an early uh-huh. bird. So I've seen it over and over in a lot of successful people. And I think it's because they're getting up before the rest of the world wakes up. So they can just, like, it's that time when you can actually think and reply to emails and put your thoughts down and prep for the day and things like that. So it's a quirky one, but that getting up early. I think that it makes a ton of sense. And I think we've all read or heard stories of really successful founders, business owners, CEOs who get up early. And to your point, right, there's this space that you need to have in your day to do some of the things that you just don't have time to do, right? I mean, we live in such a hyper-connected world and there's so much information that's flowing through us at any point in time that sometimes early in the morning or maybe late at night is the only time where you have to really take a step back and reflect and make good judgments and good decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the way I created it was like with commuting hours and traffic. Like if you know that like the heavy traffic, the big commute rush hours, like 9am, why would you be a fool and just keep getting up and getting in that traffic at 9am? Like just get up two hours early and beat the traffic. And he said that it always stuck with me. That's a good analogy. So we've spoken a lot about the business so far. And I think something that oftentimes gets lost is the people that have kind of helped you get there along the way, right? It's very easy to, again, see the person on the cover or the person who has the title, right? So apart from family, who do you think is the most you know, important or valuable relationship that you have in your life as it relates to your career? Oh, I'm going to probably answer this not in the direction you wanted, but I'm going to say say the universe because it just shows up all the time in little ways. Like here's an example. So right before this call, I had written down on a piece of paper, my call sheet of someone I need to call and it's an investor and she had fallen off the face of the earth. We hadn't heard from her in forever. And so I wrote it down. And I was like, I'm going to call her, email her, just kind of give her an update on what we're doing. And I went to open up this Zoom meeting and bing, she had just sent an email. And I was like, that's crazy. Like I literally just wrote her down on my call sheet. There's so many times when the universe kind of shows up like that. And I remember one, it's about a, yeah, I think like last year. And it was kind of a low point. It was one of those days where you're just like, why am I doing this? What have I done? What have I done? (laughs) Um, And someone called and they were like, hey, can I still invest? And I was like, what? Like, that was the best phone call on the shittiest day, right? So yeah, I think my best relationship, my most important relationship outside of people and family is the universe. And also just like tapping into like what it brings to you. You just know there's going to be some really crappy days. There's going to be some good days. There's going to be days where you're just going to laugh and days where like just everything lines up correctly. So yeah, I just try to tap into that and not like overthink it or like get too much of my own feelings. Quoting yeah. Drake here. <laughs> that was not the answer that I was expecting, but I think it was a really unique and special answer and something that all of us probably feel to to some degree, right, is this sense of we can control what we can control and we can't control what we can't control. And having this connection to that, taking the good and the bad and really allowing that to help propel you forward, I think is a really unique and valuable perspective to have in business and in life. So we're coming up on our time here. So before I let you go, I have one last question for you, which is if you could go back 
to yourself, right? Graduating Penn, what advice would you give to yourself? Be a better alumni. I have great relationships from Penn and actually in this COVID stay at home period, sure. we have a virtual happy hour every Thursday. Oh, cool. I'm happy to pass along the link if anyone wants to join us. And I love it. But even when we started doing this, it made me think a lot about like how many other people that I knew from Penn that just have come and gone in my life and I haven't always stayed in touch with. So I think that's what I would tell my younger self is like, put more effort in those early years upon graduating so that in these latter years, those relationships are just already there and they've been well-established and nurtured. That's a great advice that we could all use. So thanks again for your time, Gayla. And uh, we look forward to having you back again sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by me, Jake Blum, a fellow UPenn alum and financial advisor. Until next time, be well. We'll see you then.